I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum, uh, a podcast that encourages or hopes to encourage deep and clear thinking. This is our monthly mini reviews and resources episode that we discuss various resources for pastors or students, or maybe if we're lucky, maybe an interdisciplinary professor who's wanting to cross over from whatever they're interested in to another topic, whether it's theology, theology or philosophy. And we try to encourage this critical thinking and maybe do some popular level reviews in 15 minutes or less. So it's short enough. I mean, if you think about it for you to be able to listen from your commute to your, from your bedroom to the next bedroom over, that is your office. Sorry, that was a lame joke. I'm Jordan Stefanik, one of your hosts. And I'm Brandon Askew, your other host. So why don't we just jump into some stuff that either A, we recommend you read, we think it's got really helpful, encouraging, correct content, or B, is very interesting and encourages thinking. So that may mean we don't agree with it. Maybe we do, but it encourages thinking. So I think those are two broad types of resources we like to, to talk about. So Brandon, do you have anything you want to offer? Yeah, so um, this is a note. An old book. Um, I just read it a couple weeks ago, though. Um, it's uh, Darwin on Trial by Philip E. Johnson. This was originally, I think, 1991, and I have the 20th anniversary edition here. So um, basically, yes. So Johnson was, um, let's see, he was a law professor at, uh, at Berkeley. Um, so um, what he does here is it's just a critique of of naturalistic evolution, and he you know he he talks about it in the beginning how he's coming at this um, you know from his legal background and analyzing arguments and things like that. Um, and he talks about natural selection and uh, genetic mutations, fossil problem, all that kind of you know. But but it's it's really good because he really he gets to. Um, really what I think is the root of this whole debate. And that is, you know, what are our presuppositions? So he talks about um, how, you know, a lot of this doesn't really necessarily come down to the science. It's, it's how scientists, um, they bring their own presuppositions to the table um, every time they're analyzing whatever evidence is before them. So this was a really good critique, I thought of, of, uh, of Darwinism and, uh, it's not something that I've spent a uh, tremendous amount of time studying myself. So it's a good popular level book. Um, and in this 20th anniversary edition, he actually takes time at the end to respond to um, critiques that came out to the 1991 edition. So I thought that was helpful as well. So definitely worth reading. It's not like, you know, what is this? Yeah, it's a little over 200 pages. Um, it's IVP. But it's definitely something that a lay person or pastor could benefit from. So, cool, good stuff. I think two books that I that are on my mind. Number one, I just finished recently the Four Views book on divine impassibility. I think I mentioned that previously in our last episode, and I guess I just wanted to give a couple comments on it since now I've read it and I have a better grasp of it. I think it would be helpful for the person who's not familiar with the impassibility debate to kind of get a somewhat firm grasp of the various views on there. So it's supposed to have four views, like this strong version of impassibility qualified both sides and then passability. And the two 
positions that I guess are firmly entrenched on opposing sides, I think give fairly coherent, good arguments for their positions to where you understand why that person's thinking the way they're thinking. And the two middle ones, they seemed almost the same to some degree. I was not sure in what ways they were really different from each other. So it was like qualified impassibility, qualified passability. And I couldn't really tell the difference. I mean, they have different emphasis, different terminology they want to use, but it was like this, you guys are doing the same thing. So I, I think it's an interesting book if someone's new to the, new to that discussion and wants to understand it. Another one that just came out, or, or no, it didn't just come out, it's coming out, that I think people would be interested in on the same type of topic is R.T. Mullins. He's got a book, God and Emotions. Now, he's going to take the passableist side. So whatever you think, I think it's going to be an interesting book. I think Mullins is always interesting on everything. I read all of his stuff that he comes out with because whether you agree with him or not, I think he lays out the issues really well. And he kind of shows here are the pain points and the problem points, the points of debate. Here's some costs and benefits. I go this way. He goes that way. But I think it's going to be a helpful book. Cool. So do you have any other resources or Um, do you want to jump to journals? Would this be a good time to talk about the Truman book or should we wait on that? You know, we'll we'll mention Carl Truman's book is coming out on November. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's good. We'll tell you about it later. Um, (laughs) A couple articles. Jordan, I know you've read uh, this first one because I think you, I think you referenced it in your, in your article on um, Reformed Baptists and Westminster Covenant Theology. Hey, I'm getting a shout out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I actually had never, I had never read this, which surprised me, but um, it's Reformed Baptist Covenant Theology and Biblical Theology by Micah and Samuel Renahan. They actually wrote the, well, they didn't, I think it was actually a lecture that they gave during like a, a, a lunch meeting at Westminster, California or something. But yeah. if you just Google Reformed Baptist Covenant Theology and Biblical Theology and then their names, it'll be the first thing that comes up. But I thought it, um, the format, first of all, is really easy to, to go through because it's just numbered um, the different foundations of, of Baptist covenant theology. And then uh, what is the second section? Uh, the biblical theological basis for credo baptism. And it's just numbered and the thing's only 19 pages long, but, uh, and they're not trying to like put out some exhaustive, you know, understanding of Baptist covenant theology. It's more like what are the distinctives that would um, make someone a Baptist covenant theologian rather than a, a pedo Baptist covenant theologian. So, um, yeah, I thought that was really helpful. I don't know how I missed that along the way. I just, this is the first time I read it was this week. I don't even know how I ran across it, but, uh, I don't know how you can be truly just, I, know, man. I, 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 they're going to take my 1689 card away, but, um, well, they may get taken. That's okay. Maybe you already lost it. It's going to get taken away anyway because of this next article <laughs> that I'm uh, going to talk about. But uh, so yeah, but that but that first one, if you're getting into Baptist covenant theology, it's a good, you know, lay of the land, I guess, on on, on what are the necessary, you know, distinctives. The second one that I read recently, and this is in it's from 2009. It's from uh, the Confessional Presbyterian Journal, and the title of the article is. The long one, the Sabbath day and recreations on the Sabbath and examination of the Sabbath and the biblical basis for the no recreation clause in Westminster Confession of Faith 21.8 and Westminster Larger Catechism 117 by Lane Keister. 
So this is also only about 15, 20 pages, uh, maybe not even that long. And um, it's a good article. I agreed with a lot of it. It did not convince me on the issues that I have with the, the no recreation thing. I thought he, it probably just comes down to I'm a Baptist and I do see more discontinuity between the old and new Testament. And he wants to see more. Um, he's pulling from I, that passage in Isaiah and he sees uh, more of a, a normative, um, I guess, prescription there in Isaiah for our, New Testament practices that I, I'm not exactly convinced of, but it's definitely worth reading. Um, and I did enjoy it and I thought it was, I just thought he made a few leaps in his argument that, um, yeah, I don't know that we should let him get away with, but it's, it's worth reading. So. Cool. So a couple articles that I've read recently that I think you might find interesting or, or helpful one of them is I'll just start again. RT Mullins again. He's got a new article out called Omnisubject Omnisubjectivity and the Problem of Creepy Divine Emotions. So essentially, if you affirm passivity, you have a problem with divine creepy emotions. If God can truly feel all these things, I mean, does God get weird emotions? Well, you know, you can go read it for yourself to to kind of get a feel for it. But I think he does a good job of really explaining problems with passability. He tries to overcome them. And if I remember right, I think he was fairly successful in his attempt on that part. I mean, I have problems elsewhere with passability rather than that point. But I do think it's one that they have to, to deal with. So I think that's an interesting topic for those who are interested in that. Another another one uh, that I read recently that has been out for a little while, but I had no idea, and I just now read it. J.T. Turner, who's been on the show before, he's got two reasons to deny the intermediate state. And I thought it was a very, very helpful, interesting article. I don't think we should deny the intermediate state, but I think he does a really good job in these two uh, objections for reasons to do it. I, I think I agree with both the objections. I think I have some quibbles with some of the implications from it. But I think it was a really helpful article. Either way, it's going to help you think. And that's one of the qualifications for me to recommend stuff. It's just, does it help you think? Yes. Okay, I'll talk about it. Third, uh, Nathan Jacobs has an article, an older article in Phil Christie. We get it. We get it. Created spirits, form and matter, question mark. So he talks about angels and whether they are a composite of form and matter or if they are just form. So in Thomas Aquinas' thought, you know, angels are pure form. They have no matter whatsoever. But the problem with that, if you're familiar with Thomistic metaphysics and everything, is that the principle of change in everything is matter. So if something's pure form and doesn't have any matter, then then how does it change? How, what, what do you, what's there to account for that? And I think that's a crippling objection to Thomistic understanding of angels. But he, and, and I think he does too. And so he kind of walks through this stuff and talks about like, okay, okay, what are angels actually made of? So they do have form and matter. And then it gets into all sorts of fun questions that I've been thinking about of, you know, what counts as actually immaterial. If angels have matter too, then I can't just say whatever an angel is, is immaterial because they also have a material thing. So, then that means, you know, what does it mean for God to be immaterial? 
all those fun questions. I think it's an interesting article. I think he does really well. And the last one is from Felipe Dovale. Uh, he's coming on the podcast here soon to talk about some of his dissertation research, but he's got an article in the International Journal of Systematic Theology from last year called Cappadocian or Augustinian, Adjudicating Debates uh, on Gender in the Resurrection. So he kind of pits, I think it's Gregory of Nyssa. I think he's, it's one of the Gregories has a viewpoint of, you know, like you won't have gender. Uh, essentially. Gender is like after the fall. Yeah. And then of course you have an Augustinian thing where it's an essential aspect of who you are and, and you have it in, in the new heavens and new earth. So he takes the Augustinian side, shows some problems with the Cappadocian side. I think it's a really interesting article, especially in light of current debates and the fact that I think, you know, the liberal, especially, so let's just say the non-Christian understanding of the human person would definitely want to follow along Cappadocian lines rather than Augustinian. Augustinian lines would be incompatible with them. I think there's a way to probably make Cappadocian work on Christian understandings, but I think it's more difficult. And if you want to be more traditional, orthodox, confessional, I think you probably have to go Augustinian. So either way, interesting article, talks about a lot of good stuff. I think talks, uh, he does a really good job handling the issue. So those are the ones I've got. Do you have any others, Brandon? Cool. Well, I guess we're done early. So for everybody who's listened, we thank you for tuning in to another episode of the London Lyceum, where we are the only analytic Baptist confessional podcast on the planet. And we thank you for tuning in. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.